The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. In the name of the one for whom we wait. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite spelling words in the sixth grade was the word harbinger. It brought to mind images of frost in late autumn and robins in early spring. I loved the poetry of the word, the thought of something that was preparing the way for something else. This week, though, I am thinking of the word harbinger not as sweet and poetic, but as heavy, bizarre, and fraught with mystery. Because this week, I am thinking of John the Baptist, Jesus' harbinger, The quirky, distant cousin who dressed in camel hair and ate bugs and ranted rudely at people, even as they came to him to learn, confess their sins, and be baptized. In order to make sense of John's wild ways, I have to look at the role of Harbinger as a sort of crazy opening act meant to catch our attention pull us from the autopilot of daily life and get us to look in a new direction towards the thing that is coming. We are caught off guard by a harbinger and we want to know what will happen next. Bizarre things that grab our attention happen all the time, don't they? About 10 years ago, I was in a taxi lot in West Africa And I saw a very talented taxi driver load his old, rusty, sagging five-passenger 
vehicle to the brim. There were four large mamas in the back seat, chickens at their feet and children on their laps. The trunk had baskets of grain pushed to the back to make room in the front. For what, I wondered? As I watched, three men tied the feet of a cow together. And in one graceful-ish movement, they flipped her onto her back and into the space provided in the trunk. They tied the trunk down around her feet, creating a net, lest the car go over a bump and bounce her back out. Now, a lot of luggage and a couple goats were then secured to the roof. And then the taxi man and a few of his friends hopped in the front seat and started the engine. Away they went. And I thought, well, that is a harbinger of an imminent flat tire. How bizarre. What will happen next? Now, I have no idea what happened, but after a couple years of watching the amazing transportation of West Africa, I can pretty much assume that that taxi made it to its destination, against all odds. Perhaps it was a harbinger of a successful journey to markets where animals were sold and money changed hands and people were fed. I saw a nature video this week of a young leopard hunting in the African Sahara. It caught a large baboon. As it dragged the baboon to the safety of a tree to eat it, it noticed an infant baboon clinging to the fur of the mother who had just been caught. The leopard cub was caught off guard and quite perplexed by this visitor. It investigated the baby and then carried it gently up the tree and stashed it there while it fought off a hyena, not protecting its freshly killed meal, but protecting the baby baboon. The leopard seemed to have lost interest in the meal it had just caught. How bizarre. What will happen next, I wondered as I watched this heartbreaking scene unfold. What happened next? was unexpected. The leopard and the infant baboon curled up together in the tree and went to sleep. A living example of the prophecy we heard from Isaiah this morning about lions and lambs, children and serpents, the innocent and the wild, together in community, in peace, upon the arrival of the kingdom. How bizarre. Fifty-some years ago, in apartheid South Africa, a young black lawyer who had been committed to nonviolent resistance co-founded an armed militant group of black South Africans and headed up a campaign to sabotage the apartheid government. He was arrested for conspiracy and imprisoned for 27 years. Four years after his release, He became the first black president of South Africa. How bizarre. Many of you know what happened next. 
He helped to start the Truth and Reconciliation Commission with Bishop Desmond Tutu, bringing black and white people together who had committed acts of violence against one another to talk and experience each other as people. He had tea with his jailers. He became an international figure for peace and justice. And when he died on Thursday, people from around the world, black and white, young and old, religious and not, came out to celebrate his life and to give gratitude for his ministry. Nelson Mandela was a harbinger of peace, a peace that has yet to come, a peace that has in part happened, a peace that when it comes in full will be the kingdom of God. Many years ago, north of Africa, an infertile old woman became pregnant. And so did her young virgin cousin. Two impossible babies were in the works. The angel Gabriel visited one baby's father and the other baby's mother to tell each of them that they were going to become parents of very special baby boys. He told them the names that were to be given to each boy, John and Jesus. When the pregnant mothers came together in the same house, prenatal baby John leapt for joy at the presence of prenatal baby Jesus. Each baby was born and circumcised on the eighth day, and we are told that each of them grew and became strong. We don't know if they knew each other as children, although we've seen the Renaissance paintings. We don't know if they knew each other throughout their life, their young life, before their ministries began. We know only a little bit, and the little bit we know is so bizarre and leaves us wondering what happens next in a story like that. Thirty years later, along the Jordan River, word was spreading about a nomadic preacher who was baptizing people in the river and speaking of the coming of a savior. The coming of the prophesied kingdom. Hordes of people went to see him from all over the region, and they were fed by what he had to offer. They were baptized. They were spiritually cleansed. Some religious men, many religious men, went to check this new prophet out. And against all odds, they too asked to be baptized by the rough-looking prophet who wore, wore camel hair and ate locusts. And wild honey. How bizarre. What will happen next? Well, the prophet insulted the important religious men. He told them that they were not worthy, not authentically repentant. They were entitled fools. He told them that their perceived birthright as descendants of Abraham was hogwash. He referred to them as dead trees in need of an axe and a fire. He called them a brood of vipers, comparing them to the slithering beasts that brought about the fall of Eden. How insulting and bizarre. What will happen next? It turns out that this prophet was the impossible offspring of the old infertile woman. 
And he spoke of the impossible offspring of the young virgin when he told those religious men that another was coming who would baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. He also seemed to say that the Savior would come as a judge to cut down and clear away all who were not righteous. Now we know he's speaking of Jesus. A man and a God who we see as loving and righteous, forgiving and empathetic. So what is all this about judgment and cutting down? What is this about a winnowing fork in the hand of our Jesus? How bizarre. What will happen next? What will happen next? How do we get from this image of unquenchable fire to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to bring hope and love to a broken world? How do we take John the Baptist in his role as harbinger seriously? How do we behold his sacred life with reverence, knowing that his message was harsh and that had he the chance He just might look at us and call us a brood of vipers. How do we look John in the face, knowing that he points to our inauthenticities, our sometimes lukewarm faith, our intellectualizations of something too mysterious to intellectualize? Knowing he points to our foibles, our sense of entitlement, our sins. How do we take in this, John, as a forerunner of Christ and still keep in focus the Jesus who came and who is coming and who continues to come into our lives all the time as a sign of the unconditional love of God for us, no matter what? How do we hold the incarnate one and his harbinger in focus At the same time today, when their stories are really quite bizarre. And when we are wondering all the time, what will happen next in our lives, in our world, in us? Well, what happens is that we wait. It is Advent, and we wait. We wait for peace. We wait for clarity. We wait for the kingdom of God. We wait for a powerful God of unquenchable love to come to us as an infant. And accompanied by that God, we wait to see in each of our painful, joyful, bizarre lives what it is that will happen next. Amen.